I'm ABC's Ginger Z. In this episode of Inside Frozen 2, we were sitting in the animation room, and it was the first shot that was them animated again, and we realized we missed them. Through Frozen, you have become a bit of a leader of the Disney animated kingdom. <laughs> Women say when they see a woman in creative leadership, in they're in that room, they speak up more. And that has been amazing. I'm Ginger Z here in the very studio where they worked with the whole cast to bring Frozen 2 to life. And we're talking with the writer and director of Frozen 2. She also happens to be the chief creative officer of Walt Disney Animation Studios, Jennifer Lee, right here on Inside Frozen 2. Holy cow! <laughs> you said it feels great, and it feels great to be done because it's been it's been quite a process. It has been quite a process. To this point, yeah, it's been. A, uh, we've been working on the film about four and a half years. Wow! Uh, pretty much every day. Congratulations! <laughs> Thank you. Um, everybody wants to know what was that point after the first one because I know you had to be just as tired uh, that you said, "Yeah, sh- we have to know more about where these sisters go next." Yeah, we. I will say it was about a year. Okay. We we did do a short film, right. and that the uh, Chris and well, Chris will talk about this too. Probably as Chris Buck and I were my fellow director, we were sitting in the animation room, and it was the first shot that was them animated again, and we we got emotional, and we realized we missed them. But but my producer Peter Delvecco had been traveling with doing talks about the film, and people kept asking him. But when are you going to answer, why does Elsa have powers? And where were the parents going? And why does Anna have powers? And all these questions that we were asking as well. And Chris and I were going to do something else for a while. And we were exploring different things. And then we sat together one day and just said, are you ready to leave the frozen world? Um, we were, no, we're not ready. I think there's more to do. And we we didn't, we, we mentioned it to the studio saying, we think we might want to. And they just said, you go. We didn't have the story yet. We didn't know where we'd go, but they supported us, so that was great. So if you went in not knowing the full story, uh, what came first for you as that person who's driving a lot of the narrative? Is it the end that you know you have to get to, or what's the process there? (laughs) My favorite thing, yes. I'm definitely – some writers um, write linearly. I need to know the end. Knowing the end, though, is is, – I feel like this safe way of uh, for myself where I can I can play we can go in a million different directions to earn that ending and it was the same with the first film but what was unique about Frozen 2 was we had been working Frozen in the story room every day just talking character working with Bobby and Kristen Lopez the songwriters every day and it was very intimate and it was very um personal and then it went out into the world and it became something else and so the first thing we had to do was ground ourselves again yeah. and not be looking f- outward at, at the world and what they were saying about it or wanting because that's not how we did the first one. So I spent a lot of time those first few months journaling as Elsa, journaling as Anna. Hmm. Chris Buck would do these drawings to coincide with them, so we'd share it back and forth. And we would, I took fun personality tests um, to just say, is this where they are? Mm-hmm. Is this, she is an introvert. She's still, Elsa is still an introvert. Even though she's now free, she doesn't become this extroverted Anna. Um, all of those things to make sure you're staying true to who they are. Mm-hmm. And that, that was months of work. And I think it was really important because we, I felt like until I 
could see them again as they are, it felt very daunting. Yes. Thinking about from the film being in autumn, um, from Olaf saying it several times, but transformation is yes. is the key, right? And that end, was the end point that you knew that she was the fifth element? Well, what's interesting about it for us is the end we did know was Anna, and now I can talk about that. So yes. <laughs> the end we did know was Anna becoming queen. She is of the people. She is the kind of leader, um, does the, the right thing no matter what for her people and is a true leader. And Elsa, uh, as wonderful as Elsa put all her effort into being a queen, would do anything for Arendelle. Elsa was had a higher calling, and we knew that. Anna. I am worried for her. We have always feared Elsa's powers were too much for this world. Now we must pray they are enough. And I think that the in, the idea of her sort of being the the um, the fifth spirit uh, we started to find, but the the piece of it that I like that's very subtle that Elsa brings forward that's important is that it's it's called a bridge, and that a bridge has two sides. So really, Elsa and Anna are both the fifth spirit to me. Right. Because the, it's their sisterhood that is the bond, and it's Elsa being grounded in magic, in this magical, mythical uh, type of existence, and Anna being grounded in the fairy tale and very human existence, um, and getting to celebrate the differences between the two that make them such a great um, a family. Mm-hmm. And something that they didn't understand about each other and didn't understand about themselves. Very much. But and now do. Absolutely. And I think, as you said, it transformation is and, and change. It's not a good versus evil film uh, ever. It's a love versus fear and the, and the struggles. And in Frozen 1, we're looking at that, that through difference, being different. And in Frozen 2, looking at that through change and life throwing you curveballs and the change that that demands of you and being willing to change, fearing that change, the change that happens in families when you or face such things. So it, it was really interesting to look at how they shift as change comes for them both. Now, I know you've, you, you've talked about changing your scripts um, <laughs> leading up to the Lopez's music because obviously this is the first sequel of an animated Disney film that is a musical ever. Yes. Um, so the music's pretty important. Um, I've spent some time with them a few times now from D23 to just uh, our interview a couple of weeks ago. And... They were downplaying, oh, no, 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 it's story. But you will say, right, you even changed. What, Absolutely. What song made you change your script the most in this film? In this film, um, the biggest one of all was Do the Next Right Thing that Anna sings. And and earning that moment, we thought, was one of the most important things for us to do, to have a character like Anna who is imbues optimism, who just wants all she needs in life is her family, and how you find yourself in moments alone and you are the only one who can get you off the floor how hard that is but when someone like Anna could do that and through that song um, give you that mantra of just keep going just do the next right thing just stay here don't give up and it comes from Anna um, that to me was very special and it was such a different part of her journey just do the next right thing take a step and a gift that I wish I'd had as, you know, growing up, that just the, that, that um, how to persevere. And we knew we wanted that when we had that song. So everything about Anna's journey was reversing from that moment. And I had to really work 
on that and really looking at Anna's okay, the beginning of this film, and happy because she has her family. She has everyone, and therefore she now has everything to lose, unlike the first film where she had everything to gain. And what does that look like? And not being afraid to take her there. Uh, but I think Into the Unknown, while it's earlier in the film, certainly pushed us into the realm of change in a much greater way, Into the Unknown, with this idea of do you dare, do you not? Um, having Watching Elsa wrestle with I shouldn't turn to this call and then surrendering to it by the end and there was no going back. And that opened up the entire film. Everything had to launch from that moment, whereas in any other song, it could have been just the beginning of Act One and we would have had a lot to do after. <laughs> that song did it all. And then it was like, we have to go. We have to be prepared to go as soon as possible. Because and that did come soon. I will say, when, as I'm watching it, I'm like, oh, oh, here we go. Okay, yeah. this is it. And when we had more, we, we like to call it shoe leather, which is the business before uh -huh. you launch, it, it didn't feel right. So then the hard work was to tee everything up before into the unknown. So yeah. then... As soon as you heard it and you experienced that with her, you could feel there's you have just made a choice and there's no going back. But I will say that the first song that, that their mother sings, and, and because I'm a parent now to two little boys, I was like ready to cry from the start of the film because I'm like, oh, here we go. Um, but the love that they have, the um, intention with that song obviously was very important. Um, and you get to know, talk about getting to know the characters. You dove in to mom. She didn't even barely talk in the first one, right? And now she, she had one line. Yeah. She had one line. And, and, but I think what I, we had a, a struggle in the first film, I'll say, with we, are we going to do this in a Bambi moment where you love these parents so much and where we can't move past that death very easily? Mm -hmm. And not that you ever could, but what was the priority? And the priority was we want to understand two little girls now right. alone who don't even have each other. So you didn't get to know the parents very well. And there were a lot of questions about them. Why did they choose what they choose? What were their intentions? But I loved this idea, and it's something that we often talk about, is how moms are often there for you and, and managing so many things behind the scenes to help you in your life. And they are the quieter ones, and they do it in their own way, which is not always like, let me give you advice. It's much more... Um, open to you, you interpret for yourself, but I, I'm here for you. And here are the tools. Here yeah. are the tools, exactly. And I think what I love about uh, Aduna is when her father, their father comes in with this responsibility they may carry of sort of the, the, the dangers of this forest. She has her own secrets, but what she has for them is in life there are hard things, there are questions, there are unknowns. There is this, this, the metaphor of a river with answers, the journey to find answers. How far will you go? It is dangerous, but beautiful. And the metaphor of life in that is one thing, you know, and the mom giving that gift and soothing the girls and really grounding Elsa in her love, which is so important to me. And getting, now that we already know the fate of the parents from earlier, though, now we get to enjoy them and open up their, their story more. But it was so important to then when Elsa discovers who that voice is and it's caught up in the memories of her mother and that even after passing away, your mom is there. I think it was lovely to celebrate the mom. Where Disney, often yes. we find we lose the mom. Yeah. We say, the mom's dead, it's a yeah. joke. Um, but it's partly that in life, when you don't have that person there for you, you are forced to make all of these decisions. And having Elsa have a real beautiful moment 
a full acceptance of who she is and what she can be, encouraged by her mother and, and still was just very emotional for us. So it's interesting now. I'm thinking the the shawl or the blanket that's the mother's. They they. If I go back and watch the first one, that pattern is already there. Did you have to follow you, well, that pattern? What was pattern? interesting is you don't see that scarf in the first film because mom. Oh, okay. You see mom run in, and the scarf had been on the bed. Got it. Okay. You see mom run in. So, so you didn't have to follow them. No, we didn't. But it's funny because some of the iconography is mm-hmm. there subtly okay. throughout the first film and the second. But we hope, we really hope that Frozen 1 and Frozen 2 feel like one complete film, like it was always that way. Mm-hmm. But none of that existed for us. Right. You didn't have Frozen that. One. So it was a lot of, um, we are exploring, like that to me is the night the girls do go down and play, and on the strikes gets struck, but it's earlier. And it doesn't have to be that night, but in my head, it's that night. And we did a lot of things like that. But the scarf um, and the symbols, that all evolved over these four years. It, it wasn't ever really there. And when speaking of, this thing was evolving until, like, weeks ago? I mean, are we? So yes. what's the last thing that changed? What do we see in the film that you said, you know what, this is it? We had spent a lot of time, uh, what we call, again, shoe leather, which is where you're drawing the lines from A to B to C, and in a way that was not as interesting to me when we first meet the people in the forest. You can you want to get the dynamic very quickly. These people are representations of the pressure put on these two women, of the, of the truth that needs to come out. They are caught in that. But we were ha- really over-explaining. How did you get through the mist? Why are, Why do you have powers? And stuff the audience already feels. And so I just was very frustrated with, I don't, as an audience, I don't need this. I need, I just need permission to know we got there. And so playing with Josh um, in the room of let's let's improv Frozen 2. I mean, Frozen 1. Mm-hmm. Let's let's tell the tale of the two sisters yeah, so as good. Olaf would. Yeah and, yeah, and have fun. And we went... I mean, and there was no boundaries to where we go. We recorded the whole movie with much more detail um, and then trimmed it down to the basics. But by the end of it, you got the sense of, like, they may be going, wow, this is crazy, but they're at least caught up and we're all caught up and we can move forward. Mm -hmm. But it was also this delicious, fun way to get some perspective again on um, sort of how one can look back at the craziness of what those two went through already. So that was the final. I think that was the that was a, a lot of play in August. Cool. Animators jumped on it luckily because it was a whole minute yeah. to 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 add and to redo in the film. And they did it in days because it's Olaf and they love Olaf. It's a special magic we get to do in the room with all of them. <laughs> Enjoying your new permafrost, Olaf? I'm just living the dream, Anna. Oh, how I wish this could last forever. Mm. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts. When the actor comes in and reads the lines, does that ever change the story? If Kristen Bell comes in and reads something, you're like, wait a minute. Always, always. I think, you know, one of the things that I know um, 
the international team do a great job with finding uh, for all the dubbing and dubbing and all the different mm -hmm. um, uh, actors around the world that contribute. The thing that we do here that there's always a special part for me is getting to work directly with the actor. We can improv in the room. Mm -hmm. They'll be. Particularly Kristen Bell was a, a partner with Anna on that journey as someone she talks about struggling with depression and yet you associate her with such joy and that effort it takes and that but how worth it that effort is and I think that's just such a beautiful thing and bringing that to Anna um, because many people feel that way. Yeah. So working with her. Uh, we could deepen scenes together. We would talk through things. She was the perfect one to always say, this doesn't feel like her if it doesn't. And I think um, Josh in particular, as I said, there's a lot of, we play. I always say, come play. And we start with what's on the page, and then we go all over the place. 90% we can't use because suddenly um, he's talking about... It's yeah, warmer, yep. Yeah, some like shaving cream can from the 70s. I'm like, oh, that's yeah. not going to go. But it's it's gold in there, too. And and then I, I love it because it, I think it makes it authentic as well. It's not, they're not reading lines, they're, they're experiencing it. And you can, to animate that, it, you, it becomes much more believable. So I'm a meteorologist. I just studied science. I didn't study television. So I don't use a script. I just speak. And I always think that's because the passion inside of me of how much I adore weather which is key in this film, yes, so I'm it a is. huge fan already. <laughs> and the second a tornado comes out right at the beginning, I'm like, all right, I'm hooked. Um, how much did, obviously, the you know, going through having water and having um, earth, very important, kind of Captain Planety. Um, <laughs> I think that's funny. Where, where did that, is that from you? Is that? So the whole thing with the elements came from, deeply from, um, I said... We've got to figure out magic. Why? It's like, what is magic? And you can ask that question. You're going to get answers from all over the world different ways. So we had to ground it somewhere. And we said, well, we're, in, we're, we're inspired by Scandinavian folk tales and folklore and fairy tales, obviously, with um, the Snow Queen. And so let's ground it in Scandinavian folklore and magic. And then in digging, you get older and older and you end up in Old Norse and you end up connecting Iceland because they were they were founded mostly by Norwegians and their old sagas still exist and you start to see the elements but you see mostly wind mm -hmm. particularly with the Sami culture uh, that's a big ele uh, element for them um, you see fire salamanders mm -hmm. <laughs> come from old Norse myths uh, you you know w um, uh, water spirits the water knock is from way back with Odin and Thor times mm -hmm. and um and the earth giants are really beautiful in this sense for me because they connect to the ancient trolls, ancient, ancient trolls, where they said used to throw boulders around the forests. Well, that was the glaciers breaking up the boulders, but the, the, the mountains, but the, you feel it when you walk through those forests. So all of those things, that's where, like the, the folk tales and the folklore of the region was so magical, but it was ele elemental. Right. Of nature. And you were in these places. We I mean, were. You, went, yes. you, you, you actually saw. Um, give me one visual that you that you wanted to put in the film that didn't make it, maybe. Oh, that didn't. Okay, a visual that didn't. Oh, I know. There's one that didn't make it in the film. That was, um, we had this wonderful experience in Iceland where we went inside a volcano. Mm -hmm. And people don't understand how rare that is because most volcanoes will... I'm going to say this and probably be wrong, but we'll fill, and, mm -hmm. and, and this emptied. It was an empty chamber. So you could go down 400 feet 
more, 40 meters, maybe, I can't mm-hmm. remember, but down, and there's copper and iron and sulfur, all just glorious oh, wow. on these walls. And we had this amazing story meeting there. It was the energy of being in there. We And that's where we came up with Lieutenant Matthias. Oh. Just this soldier who's in this forest, and, and he he's caught from the past, and we're spinning as we're standing in this incredible chamber. And I wanted so so much to find a way to use that chamber and i think it it didn't it didn't add up to what we were doing it was a it would need a lot more to cover the explanation of that chamber so we never did that but you got the captain out but of it we did we did <laughs> and we got i mean the dark sea we were there mm-hmm. the the that forest we were there so i can't complain we got a lot <laughs> that we got in there can you give us an Easter egg? I know there were so many, um, or not so many, but there were some in Frozen. So Frozen 2, what can we look for that's now that we're going to see it for the second, hidden... third, and fourth time? Yes. Oh, that's... <laughs> there are some hidden characters. I can't say. Hidden Mickeys. Can't say. I will say, I'll actually say there's one from Frozen 1 that no one's ever found. So I'm going to go back to that one, too. Oh, that so no one say. has ever no found. Ever fa- that we know of. That's no a one challenge. has ever found. Yeah. I, I was reading a bunch of interviews, and, and the one one quote from you stuck out. You were talking about the stakes of Frozen, the sisters mm-hmm. um, versus Prince Charming, you know, having a Prince Charming mm-hmm. involved. Um, and you were quoted as saying responsibility that you have as a leader of a kingdom. I mean, mm-hmm. in a way, through Frozen, you have become a bit of a leader of the Disney <laughs> animated kingdom. <laughs> I, I, I feel like it would be a small part of the um – Disney in a in a broad sense. Um yes, it's been it's been a it's been an interesting ride in terms of, as you say, the responsibility. I think the thing that Frozen shows a lot is not to carry it alone. I don't. That's what I love. I have an incredible team of of um of uh producers and directors and artists that we are we work so collaboratively. We're together every day on every film that we we support each other and champion each other, and there's there's a we do everything we can every day to make it a very creative environment. Mm. And I think so. I had been here for years working on various films, from Ralph yeah. to Frozen to Zootopia, and and got to know so many different people. But but that that understanding of what our goal is, which is to create incredible stories through animation, that. We all have that share going, and we work it together. Mm-hmm. Stepping into this new role, I felt I I know how to be in those rooms, but I also love the notion of being able to support the filmmakers and and see where do we want to go next as a studio, and getting to be a participant in those kinds of questions has mm-hmm. been really great. Would you say though, in a way, I mean, obviously that's the part of the fabric of who you are because you wrote films about it, but then it became your life. So you almost like spoke it into existence. I just haven't <laughs> thought of that. And that's such an interesting, um, I mean, I think, I think that the thing I love with Frozen 1 and Frozen 2 both is that look at we, um, in, in life, carrying that responsibility mm-hmm. is the part of how most people live and not the, the happily ever after moment. You have a moment that feels that way, but these two women are princess and a queen of a kingdom they are in charge of. So the responsibilities every day for what they do and for their kingdom to do right by their kingdom, to do, to be good leaders, to are they of the people or mm-hmm. of themselves? These two are clearly of the people. All of that was much more exciting and I think of real life. So, so I think for me, what I have loved 
with being a creative leader, which I don't, you know, the stakes are very different. (laughs) But is, is I think, um, being a woman here, I hear often women say when they see a woman in creative leadership in there, in that room, they speak up more. Mm -hmm. And that has, has been amazing. And then you start to see those women also becoming creative leaders themselves. And, the realization of that, that that dynamic shift makes a difference, I think is is been the part for me that is I'm very conscious of and very, I think, um, inspired by. If there's an unsung hero within this production, who is it? Who do you oh. want to shout out? Who do you feel like never gets the... There's so many. Right. It's very hard. And, and I'm going to say this just to say as an unsung hero who was a, a quiet partner to me mm-hmm. in ways often people don't realize is... Um, uh, Lisa Keen, who is a co-art director with Mike Giamo, who's the production designer, um, they are an incredible team. And what Lisa did early on, and I asked for her to see if she could start early um, because she had worked on Frozen, is she would do inspirational paintings based on the screenplay, the early screenplay. And by doing that, she would by when I would see a moment realized through her eyes, it would re awaken that moment for me and it, we did that through the entire film together uh, with but this is all, again all in collaboration with every department and her paintings would inspire the effects team and the lighting team and I think and she wasn't the only one doing paintings so, so that's the point of saying there's so many David Wormsley there's so many amazing yeah. artists but I, I want to give a special shout out because I think as a writer um, uh, having someone who can translate what's going on in your head better than you could even imagine it. Yes. And that then tells you you can do more. The, the film, the story can do be bigger. I have a beautiful painting I stole off the walls of Think you're the story allowed. room. Yes, <laughs> when we were giving the story room over to the next film. That is of a moment of the water knock carrying Elsa, mm-hmm. who is unconscious in that moment. And it is so divine and beautiful. And it's... I. And I stole it from my office, and that was a Lisa painting. So a special shout-out um, to her. And finally, we'll end here because I think, obviously, there's there's the, the story ends in another place. I feel like it still could go on. I mean, it has to. <laughs> there, I was doing the D23 interview, and I'm not joking. Six times, Josh Gad leaned over Kristen's shoulder and said, because we're doing Frozen 3. No. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Just done. Lay that to rest right now. You need a break. I know. No, you're right. Is there more story? There, uh, there is. You know, here's what I'll say. We finished Frozen 1 going, that's done. There's nothing else. There's nothing else to do. We discovered this whole new universe and world and far much more for them. They sang to us in much bigger ways. And we go, there's nowhere it could possibly go next. Ask us in a year. I don't know. I, I have the new job. I'm I'm loving, I'm in a new honeymoon phase, which is getting to be the support to the other films versus the one going home and writing at four in the morning. The other the, the other writers can and directors can do it for a while, but I'm I'm really loving looking at where the studio's going next and focusing there. Um and uh and I'm excited about the stuff that's to come. So We'll do the next right thing, okay? And do it for us. I'm kidding. No, thank you so much. This was very nice. This is great. Thank you. I know I'm inspired. Our thanks to Jennifer Lee for her time today. Inside Frozen 2 is a production of ABC Audio and Walt Disney Animation Studios. Written and produced by Matt Wolf, with additional production by Trevor Hastings, Gabriel Stewart, Gabriel Guy, Andrew Page, Dana Schaefer, and my personal favorite Frozen fan, Samantha. 
Quinnett. Executive produced by Heidi Oringer. And special thanks to Abe Velez and Josh Cohen at ABC. And Amy Astley, of course, at Walt Disney Animation Studios. See Frozen 2 in theaters now and Frozen on Disney+. Plus. I'm ABC's Ginger Zee.